0: On January 6, 2021, the MAGA Mob came for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They hunted her like wild game in the United States Capitol. Who can forget this chilling call as the insurrectionist frantically searched for Nancy Pelosi. In an eerie similarity to January 6th, a man broke into Speaker Pelosi's house in San Francisco, screaming, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Thankfully, she was safe in Washington, D.C. But the politically radicalized madman attacked her husband, Paul.
1: Our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the
0: suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Mr. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid. The suspect has been identified as 42-year-old David DePepe. CNN reports that David DePape posted memes and conspiracy theories on Facebook about COVID vaccines, the 2020 election, and the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. He posted links on his Facebook page to multiple videos produced by My Pillow CEO, Mike Lindell, falsely alleging that the 2020 election was stolen. Other posts included transphobic messages. Hmm, where have we heard this before? Where have we heard these messages before? If you think about it, it sounds like a transcript from a Donald Trump MAGA rally, doesn't it? For example, Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia said, there's no room for violence anywhere, but we're going to send her back to be with him in California. Thank you for that strong statement, Governor Youngkin. And this, by the way, is supposed to be the GOP's moderate guy. Let that sink in. The GOP is also going to try to excuse what happened by saying, oh, it's just some random crazy guy. But your party and your right-wing media bubble pander to people who are mentally off and incites them with nonstop red meat. Your party, including former President Donald Trump, is pandering to QAnon. This is a bizarre cult that believes Democrats are Kabbalah pedophiles that eat children. This has led to attacks, including at a pizza restaurant, Comet Ping Pong, in Washington, D.C., But it's more than just pandering to the base. The Republican Party is running people for office with histories of violence and even electing conspiracy nuts who have serious unresolved issues. They run violent television ads where candidates tote guns and act like they're running for president of militias rather than public office. In one revealing ad, a Republican Senate candidate in Arizona pulls a gun on what he calls crazy face Pelosi. Crazy face Pelosi. Pelosi. Think about that for a minute. Crazy face Pelosi. Well, a crazy hit a Pelosi in the face with a hammer. Is there a connection with violent Republican rhetoric? Is there a connection? Why is it okay for Republicans to run ads like this one by Teddy Daniels in Pennsylvania?
1: They don't care about protecting your freedom of speech, your right to bear arms, or even Alexa security. They're more concerned about appeasing the left than they are standing up for us. Time to bring out the big guns. And the big guns are the millions of men and women in this country who feel as though their voices aren't being heard. I'll be your voice.
0: How about MAGA star Lauren Boebert and her gun worship? Over the weekend, Boebert actually made headlines after releasing videos saying she will carry her Glock in Washington, D.C. It shows her doing this. The ad shows her loading her gun and putting it in her holster, then walking around the nation's capital with her concealed carry. This sickness and perversion of her political system must stop. It's causing chaos and fear and making it more difficult for lawmakers to do their jobs. According to Capitol Police, In the year since Donald Trump was elected president, the number of recorded threats against members of Congress increased tenfold to 9,625 threats in 2021. How is this okay? How is it okay? Republicans are going to try to brush this aside. They're going to shrug, and they're going to resort to false equivalency. They will say there are crazies on the left, too. Yes, that is true. No party has a monopoly on crazy people. But right wing conservative political philosophies are indisputably at the root of the problem. The numbers don't lie. A recent study found that for every 10% increase in evangelicals in a county, the number of hate groups in that county increases by 17%. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I thought Jesus was known as the Prince of Peace. The fact is, right wing organizations and individuals are responsible for a disproportionate amount of our homegrown terrorism in the United States. It's not even close, there are not two sides here, and the numbers do not lie. The Anti-Defamation League has counted about 450 U.S. murders committed by political extremists in the United States during the last decade. Of these 450 recorded killings, right-wing extremists are responsible for about 75% of them. Meanwhile, left-wing extremists were responsible for only 4%. Okay, 75% right-wing extremists, 4% from the left. I think that says it all, doesn't it? Nearly half of these murders were specifically tied to white supremacists, who, of course, are exclusively on the right. So there's no comparison between political violence on the right and the left. Yes, we have nuts, but they have a nuthouse. Unfortunately, the political environment may get worse before it gets better. Republican billionaire Elon Musk purchased Twitter this week. Almost immediately, we saw a witch's brew of bigotry and hate bubbling up from Twitter, according to the Washington Post. An emboldened cast of anonymous trolls spewed racist slurs and Nazi memes onto Twitter in the hours after billionaire industrialist Elon Musk took over the social network, raising fears that his pledge of unrestricted free speech could fuel a new wave of online hate. The flood of racist posts was among the most prominent signs of how Twitter has changed in the first hours since Musk's ownership. Wow. That's all I can say is wow. Thanks, Elon. If there's one thing America needs, it's an infusion of hate speech. You must be proud of yourself. Republicans, this has gone too far, and it must stop. Violence begets violence. If you keep this up, none of us will be safe. Don't you get it? Why are you attacking democracy, inciting violence, and destabilizing America? Are you trying to turn us into Beirut or Baghdad, Venezuela or Honduras? Republicans, what is your end game? Is achieving political power worth all of this political violence? It's time to put an end to this madness and get off the crazy train. Enough already. If you love my show and appreciate our work and our message, subscribe on YouTube and turn on notifications. If you prefer listening to our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, and all major platforms. Don't forget to follow and rate our show. I appreciate your support. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Herschel Walker is secretly the little old woman who lives in a shoe. There was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. In Walker's latest scandal, attorney Gloria Allred brought forth a second woman who claimed that the pro-life Walker paid for her abortion in 1993. Walker allegedly pressured this woman into going to the abortion clinic. At the last minute, she got nervous. She didn't want an abortion, and she ran out. Walker took her home, but apparently Walker wanted the abortion still. He stepped in and compelled her to have that abortion and drove her to the abortion clinic where she finally got it. The only thing that Walker hasn't aborted so far is his pathetic campaign. Walker is a one-man abortion mill. I mean, I wonder if he gets frequent customer appreciation discounts. An abortion doctor could retire on the proceeds from Walker's abortions alone. This dude is literally a goldmine, I'm telling you. At this point, we are wondering if he's had more abortions or touchdowns. I'm betting it's more abortions than touchdowns. He's certainly great at scoring uh, with various women and not using protection. Uh, The only scandal left for Herschel Walker at this point is to find out he has put on scrubs and actually performed an abortion during halftime of a football game. Why not? He's a fake cop, isn't he? Why not a fake surgeon, too? Earlier this month, a prankster tried to give Walker several packs of condoms on stage. This guy should be his campaign manager. Think about it. Because this is the best political advice Herschel Walker has received during the entire campaign. The big question remaining, will conservative Christians continue supporting Walker? This is a big test for right-wing evangelicals. And just like back in high school, they're going to fail this too. Is any group in America more full of shit than Republican evangelicals? Is there any group more phony, plastic, and dishonest, as well as hypocritical? They don't give a damn about God. They don't care about God. It's all about political power. They'd vote for Satan if he had an R next to his name. Well, in fact, they voted for Donald Trump twice, so they kind of did vote for Satan. As bad of a candidate as Herschel Walker is, 538 Only gave his opponent, Raphael Warnock, a three-point lead. I know that's amazing. I mean, nobody should be voting for Herschel Walker. He's incompetent. He can barely speak. He's had more abortions than he can count. And yet he's still doing well. It shows you how divided this country is right now. When someone like Walker, a total fraud and a hypocrite, is still in the race and within striking distance. Hopefully with this latest scandal. Voters in Georgia will say, I have finally had enough. I hope that's the case, but I wouldn't bet on it because the evangelicals, there is nothing that they will not support if it has an R next to its name. It's really that simple. Speaking of abortion, there was a huge debate this week in Pennsylvania between U.S. Senate candidates Dr. Mehmet Oz and Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Uh, While Fetterman struggled at times to articulate his points uh, due to a stroke, it was Mehmet Oz who made one of the biggest gaffes in political history. He was asked about abortion, and I can't believe it, but this is what he said. I want women, doctors, local political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive, to put the best ideas forward so states can decide for themselves. Dr. Oz was trying to woo moderates. He was trying to come across as mainstream instead of extreme, which was what his answer was about it was very extreme what he said was chilling and show that he's beholden to the maga mob think about it he actually wants to put radical maga state lawmakers in a room with a woman and her doctor to veto their decision it's a very private decision it means everything to a woman to be able to make those choices for herself but no dr oz he wants uh crazy right-wing maga lawmakers to say, oh, you can't have that abortion. I'm gonna veto that. But you know what? Women are adults. They aren't children. They can handle their personal business. Why doesn't Dr. Oz and fellow Republicans mind their own damn business at this point and leave women alone? You know, Dr. Oz was advocating for state's rights, which makes no sense whatsoever in an abortion debate. Should a woman suddenly lose her reproductive freedom simply because she crosses state lines? Should a woman who was born in a red state and doesn't have the financial resources to move be forced to give birth against her will? Hell no. This is actually a federal issue, contrary to what Dr. Oz said, because no woman in the United States should ever have her privacy invaded by religious zealots who want to tell her what to do. No woman anywhere should be forced by big government to give birth. That's between her and her doctor. Whether it's in Alabama or Massachusetts, it should not matter. Conservatives used to tell us they were for small government. Well, this is invasive government on a massive scale. This was a very revealing debate. Dr. Oz revealed his true colors, and they are ugly. He's no longer just a TV quack, peddling fake supplements to gullible fools. He's now a full-blown MAGA man who jeopardizes the freedom of women in Pennsylvania and across the country. Now the voters in Pennsylvania know the truth, and they can make their choice based on the facts. So the debate was helpful in clarifying exactly who Dr. Oz is and what he is, which is a radical extremist that no one should vote for. Another huge debate everyone is talking about is the one that didn't happen. In the critically important Arizona governor's race, Democrat Katie Hobbs has refused to debate Republican MAGA extremist Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake is very smooth. I can understand why Hobbs is nervous, but that is no reason. Yet Secretary of State Hobbs is trying to rationalize this and said, quote, a debate never helps a candidate win. We're talking to voters, and I guarantee it's not something they're concerned about. I guarantee the person who is rationing their insulin or opening their refrigerator and figuring out how they're going to put food on the table with groceries they have left for the week isn't going to open their ballot and say, damn, I wish Katie had done a debate. Hobbs is dead wrong. A debate stage is a perfect place to highlight your positions. If you're proud of your positions, if you believe in your positions, you will stand up and debate. You know, why not use this opportunity? Why not use the debate stage to show how you'll provide insulin while Lake won't? Or to highlight your policies on how you'll put food on the table when Carrie Lake doesn't care if you have food on your table. You know, Lake would cause uh, people to go hungry. This should have been pointed out. And that is an unfortunate blunder because part of governing is communication skills, defending your positions and holding your opponent accountable. By not debating, it allowed Lake to appear alone for an interview with conservative radio host Mike Broomhead on AZTV, where she slammed Hobbs and said this. As we tried to make a debate happen
1: with myself and my opponent, but unfortunately, she was not courageous enough to show up for the debate.
0: What this interview really made clear is that Leak was the one who doesn't have the courage to speak clearly about her radical anti-abortion views. Just let me
1: clarify with you, though, because you're here. She, yeah. she isn't. Let's clarify, uh, in cases of incest or rape or for the life of the mother, would you be willing, would you sign a piece of legislation that had those exclusions or exceptions in there? I believe the 15-week bill does have that. I know people say it doesn't. But at 15 weeks, if, you've, if you're in
0: any of those circumstances, obviously, you're going to know you're pregnant by four months in, by 15 weeks in. So I believe those are in there. They like to say there's no exceptions, but with 15 weeks, there really are exceptions in there. Carrie Lake just blatantly lied on Arizona Statewide TV. She looked voters right in the eye and fibbed. Neither law in question has exceptions for incest, rape, or the life of the mother. Carrie Lake wants to force women to give birth to the rapist child. That is despicable. It's disgusting and it's really un American. It's crazy. It's insane. And it's too extreme for Arizona. And that's why I wish Hobbs would have been up there to, to slam Lake on this so she wouldn't be able to get away with such a blatant lie. In the last clip we played, Lake says she believes that the loss is otherwise. This is a matter of fact and public record, not beliefs. Republicans always do it, I believe something. Well, who cares what you believe if it's not factual? People believe in all kinds of crazy ass shit. People believe that Martians are on earth. People believe that there are singing trees. They believe in QAnon and that Democrats eat babies. Some people are even crazy enough to think that Donald Trump beat Joe Biden when he actually lost by 7 million votes. Yeah, people believe all kinds of crazy shit. So just because a Republican just says, I believe it, is irrelevant if it's not truthful. Arizona needs rational leaders, not pathological liars. That's why they should vote for Hobbes. But unlike the Republican cult, Democrats are free thinkers. We can criticize our candidates. And I can say that Hobbs should have been on that debate stage to expose Lake for the radical fraud that she truly is. You know, while Carrie Lake is an unqualified demagogue, the former television news anchor at least has charisma, plenty of it. And that's why she's scary. The same cannot be said for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He is highly overrated in my view. He has the charm of a tree stump. A Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin said, quote, DeSantis is unimpressive outside the right-wing bubble. I agree with Rubin, who wrote, quote, what makes for an electable governor in a red state doesn't always make someone a viable presidential candidate. Candidates have to be appealing, lively, dynamic, and adept at deflecting criticism. And that brings us to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis whose debate performance on Monday suggests that his advance billing as the top 2024 alternative to former President Donald Trump might be exaggerated. Personally, I think she's right. I think DeSantis will turn out to be the next Fred Thompson, Rick Perry, or Jeb Bush. Highly touted, overrated, one of these much-anticipated Republican saviors that turns out to be a flash in the pan. DeSantis is not brilliant. He's just a bubble guy. He's all about screaming to his base, to going on right-wing television and radio shows and spewing nonsense where he's never challenged. The best this guy's gonna do is be a future commentator on Fox News or Newsmax. He's not someone who can win the White House, at least not now. In a one-on-one matchup with Donald Trump, Donald Trump would wipe the floor with him. People don't like some of his excesses, but Republicans, they love entertainers. Trump puts the artist in con artist, while DeSantis is a drab portrait, a drab canvas that doesn't live up to the hype or the billing. This next story is profoundly disturbing. Lawmakers in Idaho are scheming with a right-wing lobby group, the Idaho Family Policy Center, to ban public drag shows. They want to do this in the upcoming legislative session. Uh, This sounds un-American and Orwellian. Well, maybe because it is. This goes against everything conservatives say they stand for. It violates religious liberty. It makes a mockery of parental rights. It obliterates personal freedom. And it smacks a big government on steroids. If you pass this monstrosity, you can call yourself a lot of things, but don't call yourself a conservative. This violates every principle they've ever said they stand for. But they don't care because the party has changed. The party is not even as it was five or ten years ago. Uh, it supports violence in many cases. It says the craziest things imaginable, and it's more of a cult than an actual party today. But this whole right-wing hysteria against drag is bizarro land. Americans love drag shows. The American people loved Dustin Hoffman as Tootsie. They love RuPaul. Let's not forget uh, Milton Berle and Bob Hope in drag. These are legends in comedy. How about Robin Williams in drag? Let's not forget Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis. How about Tom Hanks? John Travolta and Hairspray. Americans have been enjoying drag before the invention of color TV. This is a long American tradition, and it also has political meaning for the LGBTQ community, especially because drag queens were some of the people who led the fight in 1969 in Stonewall. So this is something that has been going on for a long time. Nobody really cared about it. People enjoyed it. They loved it. But suddenly it's a massive threat aimed at our children. Oh my God, drag queens. Ah, drag queens here, drag queens there. They're everywhere. They're coming to get us. They're after us. What the hell is going on? I mean, seriously, if you're concerned or obsessed about drag queens harming children or society, I have one thing to say. Grow up! These right-wing extremists are wackos. They say that drag uh, sexualizes children. I mean, come on, please. Tell me, what is sexual about it? While the rest of us are laughing at drag shows, these weirdos on the religious right are lusting at drag shows. What's wrong with them? That is the question. You know, this pathetic effort to ban drag says more about these right-wing folks and their their psychosexual dysfunction than it does about drag queens. It's sexual and emotional immaturity from people who never grew up, who uh, I guess for religion, has put them in this some sort of uh, a fear of sex, where they look at drag queens and go, oh my god! I mean, if you're watching a funny drag show and you're fixated on sex, you should not be wasting your time lobbying the state legislature to ban drag shows. You should be going to a psychiatrist's office, a team of well-trained psychiatrists, for help. You need help if you think about it. Conservatism is often a form of drag used by perverts to trick people into believing they're pious. It's about the worst people in society dressing up as born-again Christians to pretend they're the best people. Maybe that's why there were so many molestations in right-wing churches. Did you see the Southern Baptist Report? Have you read the Southern Baptist Report? These holy rollers? It was a hotbed of sexual abuse with minors, and then they tried to cover it up. You know, these people that want to ban drag shows, we're talking about people with serious unresolved sexual issues. They want to ban anything and everything that turns them on because they personally have no self-control. These creepy people want the government to do what they don't have the willpower to do themselves. They hide behind protecting the children to justify crusades, to ban their personal piccadillos. I don't know who the hell they think they're fooling. But they aren't fooling me, and they're probably not fooling you either, are they? The effort to ban drag is being spearheaded by a man named Blaine Konzati, president of the Idaho Family Policy Center. I'm sure there's a lot of psychologically healthy people who work there. I mean, just look at this guy. Look at him. This is the guy that wants to ban drag shows. If he wants to ban drag, he's going to need a new shirt. I'm just saying, I mean, this, the, that is the gayest shirt I've ever seen. If he bans drag, he might be the first person arrested under the new law, given his shirt selection. Clearly this ass clown, Blaine Kanzadi is projecting some serious personal issues here. This is more important than it looks. It's kind of funny because it's, you know, about drag, but it has serious ramifications for all Americans. If these zealots succeed in Idaho, they will take their crusade directly to other states. That's why they call them busybodies, because they're always busy and in your face. So this will not stay in Idaho. That I guarantee. Idaho is just a testing ground to see what they can get away with. If we do not stop this now, they will export this insanity to your state, my state, and every state in between. You know what's ironic? That as women in Iran fight the hijab revolution against the repressive ayatollahs. In America, we have religious nuts trying to restrict freedom and tell people what they can and cannot wear. This is the most dangerous bill in the country. If conservatives can tell people what they can wear in public, they control them. If they can get away with banning drag, they can ban women from wearing clothes they deem sexually provocative. You know where this ends up, don't you? The Handmaid's Tale. The same people who will tell you, oh, that can't help in here in America, because I know a lot of you are saying that right now. Those are the same people who told us the Supreme Court would never get rid of Roe v. Wade. They'd never overturn Roe v. Wade. How'd that work out? Men aren't safe either with this scheme. If the right gets their way and gets to band drag in Idaho, they will eventually demand that men don't wear stylish designer clothes either because they'll be deemed too feminine. What message does that send the children? You're dressed, you're just kind of uh, gay. You're bending genders. Yeah, here, put this on instead. Put this, this religious uniform on instead. That's what they're going to do. They will tell men what kind of haircut they can wear. The Taliban forces men to grow beards and cut their hair. Do you think it's beyond these fascists in America to require a certain hair length for men? Oh, I can guarantee you, if they keep moving forward with their agenda, that's on the agenda. I mean, we're talking about weird people, obsessed with enforced masculinity, or at least their version of it. Look at Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley, for example, who will go down in comedy history for instigating a January 6th mob and then running away from them like a full-blown coward. Or how about Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz, who also inflamed the insurrectionists, but hid in a closet when they broke into the U.S. Capitol. Cruz and Holly, big man oozing with Christian-style masculinity. <laughs> what a pathetic joke these two court have become. They are about as masculine as a freshly waxed ass in a dental floss bikini. Anyway, this proposed Idaho drag ban is blatantly unconstitutional and a violation of religious freedom. The only thing that concerns me is that we have people like Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito who are interpreting the First Amendment. And so what is obviously unconstitutional in a sane America might not be in the future if we keep giving more power to this radicalized Supreme Court. Who the hell do they think they are? I can't think of anything more unpatriotic and un-American than what they are doing in Idaho. Well, we don't have to sit there and take it. We can fight back against this tyranny. I'm going to fight back against this tyranny, and I'm inviting you to do so as well. I'm urging all my amazing listeners and viewers to contact Blaine Kanzadi, president of the Idaho Family Policy Center, and tell him, don't even think about pushing this totalitarian bill. Don't even think about it. He does not get to tell people in America what they can and cannot wear. This is about liberty. This is about freedom. This is about stopping these blue-nosed, hypocritical, busybodies who want to go into your personal closet and pick your clothes for you. Is this still America? We are putting the contact information on the screen right now. Be firm, but don't be rude. And no threats. We aren't MAGA. We have class, unlike them. But give this Bling Gansati guy a piece of your mind. And don't forget to tell him that you love his gay shirt and think it looks fabulous. Like I said, be nice. Unlike cultish Republicans, Democrats are free thinkers who put country before party. We criticize conservatives, but we aren't afraid to hold Democrats accountable too. For example, the Congressional Progressive Caucus released an ill-conceived, ill-timed letter signed by 30 House liberals and sent to the White House that advised President Joe Biden to negotiate directly with Vladimir Putin to end the war in Ukraine. This is a moment where Ukraine is having enormous battlefield success. It's a moment when our arch enemy Russia is squandering millions of dollars daily on military weapons as their once feared army becomes a weak, empathetic international laughingstock. The more depleted Russia becomes, the safer Americans are. Remember, Russians are the ones who interfered in our elections and plan to do so again. It is in our interest that they are defeated. Potential House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy also sent disturbing signals, saying that if Republicans take over, they might not be writing so-called blank checks to Ukraine. In response to McCarthy's tomfoolery, Tobias Elwood, who chairs the Defense Committee in Britain's Parliament, told The Washington Post, quote, you'd be playing into Putin's hands if America pulls back, Putin could snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. I completely and wholeheartedly agree with this assessment. Only a damn fool would send mixed messages at this crucial point in the war. Ukraine is on the front line of freedom and we must provide Ukraine all of the weapons it needs to finish the job. What the Progressive Caucus did was baffling. I don't get it. I don't understand. Russia has put together the axis of anti-progressive evil. The country supporting Mother Russia, or Iran, Saudi Arabia, and North Korea, These are places that treat women like pets. They murder LGBTQ people or jail them. They do not believe in freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and they are the most repressive, illiberal regimes on earth. It is in the interest of democracy, human rights, and progressive interests to defeat this cabal of conservatism. Trying to force peace now will only lead to more war. Appeasement never brings peace. It only encourages bullies and tyrants into taking greater risks and engaging in more destructive behavior. In the past few months, Russia has bombed innocent civilians. It has targeted infrastructure, raped and tortured Ukrainians, kidnapped Ukrainian children, and sent them to live in Russia, which by the way is a war crime, and threatened nuclear war, as well as illegally annexing Ukrainian territory. What can we negotiate with this horrid regime Putin must be defeated, not given deference. The difference, though, between Democrats and Republicans is that the Congressional Progressive Caucus withdrew their letter and apologized. They were able to admit that they were wrong in reverse course. That should be commended. It's honorable to say that you were incorrect and then do the right thing. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy is still giving mixed signals on Ukraine because MAGA Republicans never apologize never admit they're wrong, and arrogantly refuse compromise. McCarthy lacks integrity and always puts party before country. He is still sending these mixed signals and scaring the hell out of Ukraine and our European partners, and that is unforgivable, unforgivable. The question is, why is he trying to erode American support for Ukraine? Is it because Republicans don't believe in democracy? They don't believe in freedom? we all know that CPAC, the conservative uh, group that holds a meeting every year, invited Viktor Orban to be a keynote speaker. This guy is the epitome of an authoritarian. And that's who the Republicans seem to be wanting to model our country on. So maybe they're not for Ukraine. Maybe they believe in Russia. They loved Putin before this war. And apparently, given their actions, Many of these MAGA Republicans still do love Vladimir Putin. They identify with him. Maybe McCarthy is indebted to Russia somehow. Maybe he's beholden to the Russians. I don't know, but what he's doing is reckless, it's dangerous, and it's putting our national security at risk, and it must stop. What we do know is the American people are squarely on the side of the Ukrainians. A Chicago Council on Global Affairs poll released last week found that 72% of respondents said they support sending additional weapons and military aid to Ukraine. That includes 68% of Republicans. So McCarthy isn't even on the side of most Republicans. Bottom line, give Ukraine a struggling democracy whatever it needs to defeat Mother Russia. It's in the interest of the United States. It's in the interest of the world. It's certainly in the interest of progressives. And it is in, in the interest of our national security Joining us is longtime Washington, D.C. advocate, John Arabosis. He's the founder of the Progressive America blog and appears daily on TikTok to offer updates on the war in Ukraine. John, welcome to the show. John, you're a leading voice on the Ukraine-Russian war. What motivated you to get involved and tell us about your incredible work on this issue?
1: You know, it's funny. I I think back to – I'm forgetting the lawyer that helped us on the Timothy McVeigh case, that uh, LGBT – that gay case 20 years ago. But he was interviewed by somebody. asked why he was working on it and he said, I don't like bullies. And I kind of – I think that actually works for me as well. I think most of the civil rights work I've done, you too, by the way, I mean, I think it's the same thing. We just get sort of annoyed by bad guys beating up good guys. And having said that, too, I'm old enough where I remember the Soviet Union and the Russians are the modern day, well, I'm going to say incarnation, whatever word you want to use, but sort of children of the Soviet Union. And the, these guys are they're bullies and they're dangerous. And I just, yeah, I wanted to help.
0: Well, speaking of bullies, I mean, Vladimir Putin had a t- very tough reputation prior to this. He was... Um, I think Ms. though, if you look at his history, what did he do? He went to Syria. He went into Georgia. He went into Chechnya and bombed the hell out of civilians. I think he and his military have been exposed in a lot of ways as terrorists, as bullies and as thugs. How has this impacted the image of Putin and Russia w- and their military as well?
1: You know, huge mistake, obviously, going in for a variety of reasons in this war, but A lot of folks have said that had they not invaded, all of us still would have thought the Russians were the second greatest army in the world after the American army. You know, we respect anybody who's got a nuclear bomb, but Russia, we thought, was this great-ish world power. And now we see, I mean, I think back to John McCain. John McCain had said years ago that Russia was little more than a gas station with nukes. And in many ways, that's what they are. There's not much there there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. But Were you surprised that w- Ukraine was able to withstand the initial assault? I think everybody in the world was. And it was one of the most inspiring stories I've ever seen, how they stood for freedom and democracy at a time right here at home in the United States, where a lot of people don't appreciate their freedom and democracy. And here you have Ukraine battling this, uh, this, this. there are David battling a Goliath.
1: I mean, I think it's at least two main things that I think were sort of shocking. One, that they held out. You know, all of us, I I th- Thought with everybody else that the Ukrainians would get crushed, but that there would be a massive guerrilla war that we would be funding and it could go on for 10 years. So I didn't think they were going to get crushed in that regard, but certainly everyone thought the Russians were going to roll in three days, it would be over, you know, sort of harkening back to Eastern Europe. The other surprises, and I, mean, I don't mean to sort of sound like a cliche, but it's true. These Ukrainians, I mean, my God, <laughs> you know, they're tough. <laughs> for a lot of us, Ukraine was like this country over there that. We probably never planned on visiting, but it was curious, you know, former Soviet, you know, maybe you knew some people like I'm from Chicago, you met Ukrainians, but that was about it. And to see how, a, how good their military is and and the West trained them. But I actually talked to a former defense friend of mine and I was talking about that and he said, you know, we have to be careful when we say that, you know, we trained the Ukrainian military. We did. He said, but we also trained the Iraqi and the Afghan military. And they suck. <laughs> there is a large, you know, a large factor of this is what you bring to it. And the Ukrainians brought this, I don't know, zeal and expertise. And it's, it's been kind of amazing to watch, really. It really has. Um, but you know what concerns
0: me? What keeps me up at night? That we're only a couple of weeks away from elections. And we have isolationist appeasement Republicans on the MAGA right who were saying, oh, at a time when people are suffering in the United States and gas prices are high and bread prices are high. How could we be giving money to Ukraine? And then we had the ultimate uh, spineless, gutless worm in Kevin McCarthy, in my view. I mean, this guy stands for nothing except power, who has signaled that he might be open to defunding the war in Ukraine, which I think would be A disaster. And I'll get into why I think in a moment. How worried are you that in a couple of weeks, everything's going to change and this noble war fighting Putin, which of course protects the United States, will be sabotaged by MAGA Republicans taking control of Washington?
1: It's going to be much worse. Okay. I'm not convinced that all the money is going to be cut off immediately. You know, it depends. I'm not even sure it even depends what happens in the Senate because McConnell has been very supportive. So that's good. But what worries me is you've got in the House, you've got the, you know, the appeasement, MAGA, pro-Putin, not even appeasement, they are pro-Putin caucus. Right. Right. Um, He needs their votes. I mean, McCarthy would basically have to pass future funding for Ukraine by getting Democratic votes, which he would get. But it would be kind of embarrassing for him. If he were to do that. Now, he also wants to be speaker. And there is a, a lot of concern as to what kind of promises is he going to make behind the uh, closed doors to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and all the rest of them, Lauren Boebert, about not helping Ukraine in the future. And finally, Trump. I mean, this all goes back to Trump. Donald Trump is the one who's the original sinner of being anti-Ukraine because he's pro-Putin, but also he believes this crazy conspiracy theory that Ukraine was conspiring with Hillary in 2016. I mean, it's crazy stuff to steal the election. So Trump, it trickles down to Fox. It trickles down to the Republicans. It's going to be – and if he runs for president, he's going to be stopping – he's going to be talking nonstop about this.
0: Well, even if McCarthy gets the job, I mean, Donald Trump doesn't forgive very easily and – It's possible that he could sabotage McCarthy and we could get somebody even worse who's anti-Ukraine in there. And and I agree with you. It goes back to Trump. I think he was caught trying to blackmail Ukraine. He got impeached over it. And I don't think he's forgotten that, nor have the MAGA crowd. And I I do think that they are looking to exact revenge, which would be a disaster for the United States.
1: Knowing Trump, he literally wants revenge on Zelensky because Mm -hmm. he got caught trying to blackmail Zelensky. And Trump also has to double down just to prove that he's right. So he's going to do everything he can to prove that Zelensky uh, Zelensky is bad and Ukraine's bad. And it's dangerous as hell. I mean, obviously, Trump is dangerous on so many levels. Well, there's
0: also isolationists in Europe and they're protesting right now and appeasers in Europe. And winter hasn't even started yet. We're going to be getting higher gas prices. People are going to, in some cases, need to warm up with blankets. This also concerns me. How do you think European resolve is going to hold up over the winter? Or do you think they're going to start backtracking and uh, joining the Marjorie Taylor Greene crowd?
1: You know, I was reading something today saying that the Europeans actually have done a very good job in terms of their uh, the gas supplies, natural gas. So actually, they may be okay for the winter. The bigger issue is going to be the price, because, you know, the price has gone up a lot. uh, Oil as well. And you can't really insulate yourself from that, even if even if you use domestic supplies. The price is global, so the price goes up globally, it goes up, goes up domestically. That's going to be an issue. It probably depends on where, right? The Brits are going to be amazing because the Brits have been amazing on this. The French have been pretty good. The Germans, well, you know what's funny with the Germans too? It's been the – I shouldn't say this. It's the government. The German government and the French government have been uh-uh, right? We now know what the Italian, there's a new Italian government that's basically fascist. They could be a concern. It's not clear that the people are as much a concern as the, as the governments themselves, I fear, at this point.
0: Here's one thing I think is going to happen, and it's going to be, again, calamitous. I believe if we back off the United States and Europe of funding Ukraine for this war, I believe that sends a message to a newly empowered Xi in China to attack Taiwan, because his calculus is going to be, if they're not willing to defend a democracy in their own backyard, literally bordering these countries, there's no way in hell they're going to defend a democracy, an island across the world, which is going to be much more difficult. I could see that being a consequence of backing off funding Ukraine.
1: Yes. You know, it's, look, look at Afghanistan. Okay. I don't, I don't, I fault Biden and I don't fault Biden. It's funny. I voted for Biden. I'm very iffy on Biden on a lot of this stuff. (laughs) He's no Barack Obama. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Um, But, you know, it was Trump's deal. It was Trump's agreement to withdraw from Afghanistan. Trump withdrew most of our troops from Afghanistan. By the time Biden got there, there were very few troops left, actually. And it was Trump's deal that he implemented. But I do think he did a bad job pulling us out. It looked chaotic and it looked like, oh, America running with their tails between their legs. And if I were China, looking and going, look at the chaos. That was no American president wants to go through that again, meaning Meaning from China's perspective, they wouldn't want to get involved in foreign, uh, foreign affairs. Now, having said that, look what's happened in Ukraine to date. If I were China, I'd be worried, frankly, because to date, the whole world got together. We got together in a much more uh, cohesive way than expected. We passed sanctions that nobody thought we could get you know, that the world would come together on this and China cares about their economy more than anything. This would be devastating to China's economy if we did the same kind of sanctions to them. So that's great. But as you said, the concern I would have is what if we all just crumble and China then goes, well, you know, they were good for a year taking on Russia and then they caved. All we have to do is weather one year of them taking uh, Taiwan and, you know, then we will be fine. You what would also
0: concerns me when, when it comes to uh China is that they will look at this and believe that um, the world is on their side. Like the the, the things are changing. It's moving in their authoritarian direction. And that's going to embolden them. I, I mean, I think economic concerns generally with China have been their number one concern. But I think with Xi, it's different. I think he's more like Putin and is showing these colors that he's more concerned with the greatness of china as russia is with a greater russia and ukraine i think is that front and if that crumbles i think we're going to war in china i really do think that he's made that a priority and that could be the outcome of this what also concerns me though if that happens and we back off with ukraine you russia gets you, ukraine and china attacks taiwan the u.s becomes more authoritarian and, and That also we see the same thing in Europe. We could suddenly live in a very brutal world with spears of influence, without democracy, without decency or human rights. Uh, A world potentially based on repression, lies, totalitarianism and conspiracies, kind of like the Republican Party today. What does that look
1: like if Russia digests Ukraine? I mean, what, what happens to the world then? it depends what position we take. If you get the Trump approach and we become more authoritarian, then I worry that the spheres of influence aren't like the Soviet days, the cold war days where there was the freedom sphere of influence and the dictatorship freedom. And with, mind you, yeah. With, with, we supported some bad guys, you know, there was that, but nonetheless, um, you get something with Trump where we're actually joined with Russia as, as co, co-totalitarians co or co-authoritarians so that we're actually part of the sphere of influence of the bad guys. That's what I'm afraid of. Like, there's going to be nowhere to run, nowhere to hide the entire world. There's nowhere to go because what? It's going to be Canada. It's going to be, you know, Handmaid's Tale. It's going to be Canada.
0: Yes, and I think it'll embolden the uh, European far right. And I think more, we just saw what happened in Sweden and you mentioned Italy earlier. I think that's going to happen to many other countries in Europe if fold on Ukraine. And uh, we have the uh, Matt Gates, uh, Marjorie Taylor Green, Donald Trump crowd in Washington running the show. There's going to be nowhere safe. And that is why this is such an important fight to me. If you could look into a crystal ball, how do we get out of this uh, in the best possible way in in, in Ukraine? I mean,
1: best possible way, I think is obvious, which is that Ukraine gets their territory back and the Russians have an Afghanistan moment, their Afghanistan, not ours, uh, moment where they go, you know what? We've been fighting this too long. We've lost too many men. The people at home are getting too pissed off and we've got to just pull out and leave. I mean, that would be the best case. It could be something where Putin gets overthrown. It could be where Putin gets threatened with being overthrown. What I worry about is, and again, I am much more hawkish on this than I think Joe Biden is. Biden worries me as far as worrying a little bit too much about what Vladimir Putin thinks. Having said that, I care about what Putin thinks to the degree that the war has to end at some point. And Putin could just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And and I don't know where that stops. And in the meantime, he goes on 10 years and he just keeps killing Ukrainians, killing children, destroying their infrastructure. Now, if the Ukrainians want to keep fighting, I'm with them. I just worry as to what gets Putin to stop. But having said that, that does not mean we appease the man and say, well, since you're willing to keep fighting, I guess we'll just give you everything you want or we'll give you half of Ukraine. I mean, this is the problem with the folks who keep wanting to sort of negotiate when uh, Elon Musk. When they throw out negotiations and peace plans, their peace plans are always, you're being mugged. Why don't you give the mugger half your money? And it's like, that's not, that's not a compromise.
0: And I don't think they understand the mindset of bullies. And the only way you stop a bully is to punch them in the nose. I mean, it's just the basic schoolyard logic. And it works. And when I've done that, it's worked <laughs> in, my, in my own life. And this will only encouraged Putin to reach for more because his goal isn't to stop there. And he's going to keep testing it. And we've also seen the brutality. I mean, this is someone who has bombed women and children in playgrounds. This is somebody who is kidnapping children and relocating them to Russia, potential war crime. This is someone
1: who bombs apartment buildings with reckless abandon. Early in his career, or uh, career getting on the presidential level, Putin bombed a Russian apartment building to claim it was terrorists, Chechen terrorists. But it was actually a false flag operation. I mean, you can Google this. I I hate even bringing up false flags because it sounds like Alex Jones, but in this case, it's real. Putin is a thug.
0: I don't know where to put him on the uh, pantheon of, of horrible leaders in history and evil leaders, but he's certainly on the path to becoming one of them right now. How would you, how would you rate him and the trajectory of his, uh, his career?
1: You know what? I would say this. I think to some degree, what bothers me with the question, and I'm not knocking you, but I mean, I almost feel like it puts us into that territory again of, oh my God, he's crazy. What do we do? He's the worst ever. We better. And then the next argument is not from you, but the next argument is we better find a way of making him happy and giving him an off ramp because he's just the worst of the worst. He's, I think, a totally rational. Actually, Biden or somebody else said this recently. He's a totally rational guy who's made a lot of irrational decisions getting into this war, but he's rational. And right now he's trying to preserve well, he was trying to expand his country, and now he's trying to save his job and his life. But it's all rational.
0: I would agree it's rational, but he also doesn't, have, uh, he also doesn't shy away from killing.
1: But that's rational
0: to him, too, because he doesn't care. But I wouldn't stop. I agree with you. That, that is a reason to go on, not go in the other direction, because you're only going to encourage somebody like that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. Yes, yes. He's brought up using nuclear weapons. Obviously, everybody's concerned about that but how likely do you think he is to use them and what do you think the west's response should be if he does
1: i have written about this and i've talked about this a lot and anybody who's worried about Putin using nuclear weapons has to explain why he would do it and why he would do it is not a simple elon musk answer of he'd do it because crimea is really important and if he loses it he'd nuke no 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 he's a head of state he's not crazy He's sly like a fox. Tell me why the sly, I don't mean you again, tell me why the sly fox thinks setting off a nuclear weapon would advance his goals either at home or internationally. And I can't find an answer for that, right? He sets off a nuke and NATO and the U.S. enter the war. We could, you know, a lot of the generals, I think, I think Biden's response, I'm not sure what Biden's response would be, because I think Biden still pulls punches a little too much with, um, and actually a lot of issues. Biden's a bit of a caver. I don't mean to keep knocking Biden here, but Biden kind of caves when you, when you push against him. And so I don't know, but the generals have talked about blowing up the Russians' Black Sea Fleet, you know, based in Crimea, uh, going after Russian troops based all over Ukraine. I think we probably would have something more like a no-fly zone, but it would be a true no-fly zone of all of Ukraine and say you put one plane in the air, you turn on one surface-to-air missile, you turn on one radar, and we're blowing it up. And the Ukrainian pilots can now fly all over the country and do as many bombing raids as they want on the Russians. So it's something like that. But again, that does not benefit Russia. Putin does not want us to enter the war. He can't beat Ukraine. He certainly doesn't want to be fighting America and NATO. So I I worry about the talk because the talk can lead to mistakes. Right. We, we keep hearing him talk about I'm going to nuke you. And then somebody sees something on the radar. They're not sure what it is. And the Poles end up shooting a, a, a Russian plane out of the sky. I mean, you can have mistakes that lead to further escalation. But I just I think his job right now is to shake things up because he's losing. And the best way to do that is to scare the hell out of us about nukes. And the best way to do that is sound as irrational, as crazy as possible. And I think he's doing a good job of it. But again, one final point. People keep saying, but he's crazy. He might nuke us anyway. Well, if he's crazy, then no amount of appeasement is going to help because he's crazy, right? Appeasement would be assuming logic and rationality. Well, if we give you this, then you'll be happy and you'll walk away. Well, if you're crazy... Nothing we do can necessarily make a difference. Um, no, I, I just think he's full of BS at this point. But ha- having said that, you know, hmm, I, hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm right. Excuse me. But, you know. Well, the only
0: thing that worries me, but he, this whole talk of he thinks he's Catherine the great 2.0 or Peter the great 2.0 is just sort of this, yeah, you know, it's, it's a sort of delusions of grandeur. That, those, those are the things that do concern me about him when I hear that, because that does speak to possibly crazy.
1: This is actually an important point to tell your audience as well. Nuclear submarines. If a nuclear war starts, we both lose. I mean, literally, America and Russia both lose. Both sides have nuclear submarines. They're impossible to hit. They have nuclear weapons. If Russia destroyed all of America, our nuclear submarines would survive and destroy them. If we destroyed all of Russia, their nuclear submarines would survive and they would destroy us. Neither side – both sides know it's the end of the world. Peter the Great – means expand my country and conquer new lands. And I will be famous as the guy that restored great Russia. If you kill 97% of your population in a nuclear war, that ain't Peter the Great. I mean, Putin cares about his legacy. He doesn't want to on his deathbed send off nukes. He wants to conquer countries.
0: Yeah. As I've said, based on their performance so far, uh, their military's petering out and he ain't great. I mean, that's what's happening so far.
1: Of course. Yeah. I mean, thank God. And actually, just I mean, thank God that we've also seen how bad these guys are, because even their neighbors on the borders are starting to act up a little bit. The former Soviet countries are starting to go, you know what? Maybe we won't let you push us around as much. Maybe even the Chinese will start to distance because the Chinese are now going, okay, your weapons suck. And actually, you're more of a, you know, kind of a two bit second rate power than we thought you even were even though we always knew Russia wasn't on the caliber with Europe and America right they they were a nuclear power a superpower they were never an economic superpower and we now know they're not a military superpower we thought at least the military was pretty good now we know they're not so that brings me to
0: a question on China and g and that is they must be he must be worried secretly that their military isn't as strong as it is that's one thing about these authoritarian countries. And Russia is a perfect example of that. People lie to their leader. Oh, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. He must, in his deeper, darker moments at night when he's going to bed, say, I wonder if we're as strong as I think we are, or they're just telling me what I want to hear because I'm an authoritarian leader.
1: I'd never even thought of that. That's a fascinating observation.
0: Yeah. I mean, you think you're strong. You think that you're like looking at him and you're like, well, if they perform like this, how the hell are we going to perform? We haven't had a war. We haven't really tested our troops. And everybody's telling me, yes, yes, yes. Maybe there's some no's in there.
1: They're, I'm not hearing. What you are saying for your audience here is a lot of what happened with the Russians is their leaders, like Putin, you know, the big leaders, thought that all the things they ordered the military to do were actually happening. For example, they would have exercises. These great, large, you know, exercises to scare the West. And what we found out was they weren't actually practice sessions. They weren't chances for their troops to get, you know, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, you know, all these different uh, or, you know, parts of the military working together and practicing. They literally would have a script. And it was more a play. I mean, this one kind of blew my mind. And literally, they would put on a play and say, okay, you're going to go here. He's going to go here. And it wasn't a military exercise. It was just performative art. And we looked at it and thought, wow, that's a beautiful exercise they did. It wasn't. Um, The the guys fighting to go to uh, Ukraine. There was a report the other day of the guy said, we don't get to use any of the weapons at all. Shoigu, the defense minister, came by and all of a sudden that day we had weapons practice and everyone had to pick up a gun. He goes, he left and they stopped the weapons practice. That's the kind of corruption that's happening. and But they tell the senior up, oh, everyone's, everyone's perfect with the weapons now. They never used it.
0: Right. And in fact, it's just battalion ballet. I mean, it's a performance.
1: Yeah. And, but, but you lie to the higher-ups, and as you said, you're afraid – well, A, you lie to the higher-ups because you're stealing the money and stuff. But second of all, if you discover theft or you discover it's not happening, you don't want to be the one to tell Putin, uh, guess what? They stole all the money. <laughs> so you go, oh, yeah, everything's going great. The historic election of Barack
0: Obama seems, in retrospect, like the pinnacle of American civilization. Uh, the 21st century began with enormous hope and bubbled with mind-blowing progress. The dirty industrial age had given way to the sleek information age, where answers to the world's questions were literally at our fingertips. There were no limitations on our dreams and everything was within the realm of possibility. We were a forward-looking nation that embraced the future. This momentous age of possibility culminated with the taboo-shattering election of our first African-American president, a country that brought black people to North America in chains, unshackled a few of its enduring demons by elevating Barack Obama to the apex of power. Sure, America still had not reached its moral summit or fully lived up to its lofty ideals, but it did appear that we surpassed the middle of the mountain. It seemed the direction we were heading was onward and upward, or so we thought. The rise of the information age coincided with the decline of American towns steeped in the industrial age. High-paying union careers disappeared, replaced by depressing low-wage jobs at places like Walmart. Charming downtowns were replaced with dumpy big box stores, Physical eyesores that match the deteriorating lives of the once-proud people who populated these small towns. In a digital-based economy, the best jobs required college degrees, leaving many blue-collar workers with only high school diplomas feeling hopeless and helpless. For the millions of Americans left behind, often to no fault of their own, the excitement felt at the beginning of the new century curdled. With their economic prospects dimmed and their self-worth diminished, they were lost and felt abandoned by our political leaders. You know, they kind of were. The financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 badly exacerbated and accelerated these trends. This is not to excuse, by the way, not to excuse the ruinous anti-democratic political behavior today. There is never an excuse for that. But it is to offer an explanation. However, it's also worth pointing out that many people thrust into these dire situations had the imagination and initiative to evolve and reinvent themselves. Not everyone has the wherewithal to do so. I understand that. But a large number of Americans did adjust, and they are thriving today. As conservatives love to hypocritically preach to poor minorities, they could have lifted themselves up by the bridge drops or moved to places with more opportunity, but elected not to do so. I really do feel for these people because many of these uh, people could not find their place in modern society. And what did they do? They turned to self-harm. They popped opioids to numb the pain, drank excessively to forget their new station in life. And some people took their own lives. These so-called deaths of despair have led to a once unthinkable drop in life expectancy in America. When turning negatively inward didn't solve their problems, many people began to lash outward. Instead of taking personal responsibility, they search for narratives to explain their new place in the world. Into this vacuum stepped various demagogues who cunningly profited from these people's pain. Some of these charlatans were religious leaders, and others were media personalities. They conjured scapegoats who were easily blamed. Hate-peddling hucksters had an easy time finding villains in an era of dynamic social change. As people's lives were hastily unraveling, they watched Successful, attractive gay couples on television shows. African-Americans were succeeding at the highest levels of sports, politics, business, and entertainment. More Hispanics were suddenly present in communities that had traditionally been homogeneously white. Women were suddenly leading companies and no longer dependent on the largesse of men. Turned off by fundamentalism, millions of Americans were abandoning religion and continue to do so today. I mean, we talked about Herschel Walker earlier. If that's the way evangelicals behave, how do they expect people to go to evangelical churches? Well, these seismic changes were gradually occurring in small towns. Their full impact could be seen in movies and also in television shows. So you had a whole country where you had a lot of unemployed or underemployed white men and women, sometimes strung out on opioids, while watching glitzy shows modeled on sex in the city that take place in New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Differences in rural and urban lifestyles had always existed. But now, especially with widening gaps between rich and poor and expanding media options, these disparities were thrown in the faces of the downwardly mobile every single day. And they became angry, and they became jealous, and many became bitter. Over time, this led to a festering resentment and a deepening antipathy towards what were perceived as fancy city slickers, you know, blue states. Never mind that many of these urban dwellers are working their asses off at one, two, three, four jobs just to make ends meet and pay their rent and pursue their dreams. A prime example of the growing cultural divide was Barack Obama telling Iowa farmers at a campaign stop, anybody gone to Whole Foods lately and see what they charge for arugula? I mean, they're charging a lot of money for this stuff. Yeah, America went crazy with that. Uh, the New Republic recalls, quote, Arugula Gate, as it inevitably came to be called, was immediately deemed a gaffe, a sign that Obama was an out-of-touch elitist. The New York Times noted that there wasn't a Whole Foods in all of Iowa at that time. And throughout the rest of the campaign, the candidate's taste in food would often be used as a class-signifying cudgel against him. The first clear manifestation of this irrational anger was the Tea Party. People with diabetes, two teeth, and no health insurance were fighting to quash Obamacare, which they clearly needed. You had protesters screaming, keep keep the government's hands off my Medicare, with their volcanic ire surpassed only by their epic ignorance. This was the beginning of the end of reality in America, and it only went downhill from there. Those who felt slighted were feverishly organizing with like-minded victims with money from right-wing foundations to attack their putative enemies. While there had long been an exploitative right-wing infrastructure to profit from nursing their perceived snubs, there still lacked a single charismatic leader to mold their whining into a potent political weapon. Enter Donald Trump. Although he's a gilded multimillionaire who inherited his wealth, Trump shares a damaged psyche and a paranoid mindset with his followers. Both the cult leader and his sycophants believe that they failed to reach their true potential because of haughty elites who are out to get them. That's that's their mindset. Trump, an endless vortex of grievance and a black hole of eternal victimhood, was the one person who could uniquely articulate their fears, but more importantly, target their foes. People are often perplexed. They ask me, why do most Trump supporters no longer believe in democracy? Don't they want democracy? No, they don't. It's because they think that democracy has failed them. They don't care if the system collapses because it was the system itself that they believe betrayed them. What they call nationalism is actually nihilism. This pathological movement, born in despondency and disillusionment, exists solely to inflict pain on those they believe wronged them. And we all see this over and over again. It's all about inflicting pain. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You made me cry. I want to make you cry. Is that what MAGA is about? Have you ever watched a MAGA rally? It's basically a group therapy session for people who are in pain, people who are suffering and lashing out at scapegoats. But it's very therapeutic for them. They're all together. All these people who have uh, you know, mainly failed in life, again, sometimes to no fault of their own, they were just put in a bad situation but they are looking for like-minded people. And at these MAGA rallies, that's what it is. Big group therapy session. This this pandering to pain explains why the GOP had no platform at their last convention while Trump was running for a second term. A platform requires standing for something, while the Republican Party is now merely a stage for performing spasmodic therapeutic outbursts to help their supporters heal their deep-seated emotional wounds. They misidentify these tantrums as owning libs. We own the libs. But you can't own something if you burn it down. And this is what this movement is about. They're not about building, they're about burning. This ignoble crusade has never been about making America great, but dragging those they hate into their universe of despair. It's a big difference. It's about exploiting politics to create a national Bob Dylan moment, where these embittered lost souls can wag their fingers and bellow at the top of their lungs How does it feel? How does it feel? Well, let me tell you, it certainly doesn't feel good. But after the mindless bloodletting finally subsides, these zealots may realize that their lives have not improved one iota through right-wing politics. It's done nothing for them and has exploited them. It has taken their money, it has taken their faith and run roughshod over it. Like desperate crabs trying to escape a boiling pot They've simply dragged others down into their cauldron of rage and desolation. When your entire goal is hurting people to screech, how does it feel? How does it feel? We'll all suffer and find our crumbling nation blowing in the wind. I wish we could return to the days when Obama was first elected, where anything seemed possible. Well, anything is still possible, but not necessarily in the positive way we imagined. Who knows where we go from here? But the midterm elections will offer a few clues. Thanks for tuning into The Wayne Besson Show today. I've enjoyed spending time with you. We are available on all major platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Until we meet again, see you next time.